0: Is Christian Questions.
1: The best place to find a helping hand is at the end of your arm. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions, talk radio with a purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise never to talk at you, like many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics
2: as we look at them from a different perspective. And that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone.
1: Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk, you listen, and then you talk, and we listen.
2: You can also contact us at our website, christianquestions.com or .net.
1: Good morning, Jonathan. I'm sure that the listeners today uh, hear a voice here that they're not used to hearing.
2: That's for sure. You don't sound like Rick. (laughs) Well,
1: (laughs) And in fact, I'm not. This is your undocumented guest host, David Stein, sitting in for Rick during his absence today. Uh, those of you that have been listening to the program for a while may recognize my voice as I've been a, uh, in this in the guest chair frequently. Yes, you have. So, uh, n- But now being in the host chair, it's a little different.
2: <laughs> well, I'm so glad you could be with us, David.
1: Well, really happy to be here. Uh, for those of you that uh, are not familiar with me, I come from uh, the Allentown, Pennsylvania area uh, and an elder in the Allentown Bible Students Ecclesia. Uh, by profession, I'm an Listen, engineer, if so you're consider- I've got uh, a little bit of a technical side of me. But uh, really happy to be here today. We trust that the Lord would, uh, would bless this privilege that, uh, that I have. Jonathan, what is our topic for today?
2: Well, David, our question is, will Israel and Iran go to war? And our theme text is found in Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. You know, this is a wonderful text. Uh, I know in the King James
1: version uh, it says a, a partial blinding or a blinding of Israel, whereas our New American Standard version says a uh, partial hardening. This is a subject that's of interest to a lot of people today, uh, especially recently. We've seen so much going on in Iran, and the comments from Iran's president, Ahmadinejad. Uh, here's a guy that really hates Israel, and some people think he's a crackpot, and he may be, but to tell you the truth, uh, this this guy is, a, is an engineer, he's a technical person, he's a very smart person. So as we're looking at Bible prophecy and trying to understand what's going to happen, I, I think this is really a, a current event for us to take a look at today. The first thing that we'd like to start with this morning is kind of to establish a baseline, Jonathan. Uh, most people are aware of the things that have been uh, said by Ahmadinejad and the commentary that's been going on. We have several sound bites that we'd like to share with our audience to kind of establish what the attitude is. Our first sound bite is uh, comes from an address that President Ahmadinejad gave uh, in uh, in 2008, mm-hmm. and uh, it kind of describes what he's been saying from before that time and after. So let's go to cut one
0: taking aim once again at Israel in the United States Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad repeated inflammatory comments that he made three years ago saying Israel would soon disappear Ahmadinejad first made the remarks in 2005 fueling international outrage and speculation that he was threatening the Jewish state with a nuclear weapon but while speaking at a ceremony honoring the late founder of Iran's Islamic Republic Ahmadinejad told an audience that, quote, this origin of corruption will soon be wiped off the earth's face. Ahmadinejad also called the U.S. a satanic power that with God's will would be
2: annihilated. Wow, strong words. David. Yeah, Jonathan, if you were
1: living in Israel, how, how would you react to it when you hear that, that you're going to be wiped off the map, you're going to disappear from the earth? Threatened. Yes, <laughs> it is no question a threat. And he has made variations of this uh, through the years, and sometimes he kind of steps back from them. Some of those are that who are supporters of him have kind of spun his words to say, well, he didn't really mean that he was talking about this or that or the other thing. But the fact is that Iran is... is uh, Refining uranium. You know what uranium is, Jonathan?
2: Um, it's an element you need to create a bomb. <laughs> that's <laughs> about it. Exactly
1: right. It's it's a key element in the atomic bomb, and of course that's been in the news a lot. They they have been using a lot of technology to go through three stages of refinement in order to make enough material for a bomb, and you can imagine someone that is making threats against other nations if they had such a uh, such an armament. And the world community is watching that. Well, in 2012, just this past uh, September, I believe, the uh, president of uh, Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, was making a speech, and he talked a little bit about the process of making this bomb in order to identify just how close this, uh, this threat is. So we're going to go to cut number two.
3: And Iran has to go through three stages. The first stage, they have to enrich enough low enriched uranium. The second stage they have to enrich enough medium-enriched uranium. And the third stage and final stage, they have to enrich enough high-enriched uranium for the first bomb. Where is Iran? Now they're well into the second stage. And by next spring, at most, by next summer, at current enrichment rates, they will have finished the medium enrichment and move on to the final stage. From there, it's only a few months, possibly a few weeks, before they get enough enriched uranium for the first bomb.
4: Now,
1: he was talking at the end of last year, so when he says next spring, next summer, that's this year, Jonathan. Oh, My, oh, that's scary. It it is, it is. And political observers around the world are seeing this kind of ratchet up the tension that's going on there. I want to go to our our, uh, third. We actually got four cuts uh, that we want to talk about. This this third one is a um, a Meet the Press interview with Richard Engel. And uh, this was done in January, so this is right up to date. And he's one of these world observers that has uh, astute observations about what the threats are and what's coming up. So let's uh, take a a real short cut here from Meet the Press uh, with Richard Engel. Cut number three.
0: Just to start you out on the huge threat of an Iranian nuclear weapon, how does that factor into the second term? Well, I think it's possible that this year there may be uh, an action by Israel against Iran. It looked... Likely last year, I thought it was going to happen, and then it looked less likely, and people I'm speaking to think it is once again a possibility.
1: Now that, to, that makes sense, David. Yeah, yeah. And now to add to that, a little bit later on in that same interview, Richard Engel was talking about things that are going on. Now, we watch Egypt, and we see the Islamic Brotherhood revolution there, and, mm-hmm. and you know they're in turmoil now. Not all the Egyptians are in favor of this Islamic Brotherhood government. Okay. There, in fact, there was one, one of the uh, the clerics there said, you know, we need to tear down the Great Pyramid. It's a, it's a pagan object. Oh. That, that won't be so good for tourism, would it? <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and on the other side of Israel, when you go to Syria, we, they're in the midst of a revolution now. Uh, uh, Bashir Assad, uh, he's, be, he's has a great war on his, on his hands from those in the Syrians that don't like his brutal regime. So all of this is making the area unstable. And this is what Richard Engel talks about here in our last cut this morning. Cut number four.
0: If you look, broaden out a little bit, then you have Syria, which is in state collapse and is probably going to be in some sort of state of anarchy over the next few months. That will likely spread to conflict in neighboring Lebanon, also spread to conflict in Iraq. We could have a potential band of conflict from Lebanon through Syria, into Iraq.
1: Now, all of these countries are countries that surround Israel. Uh-huh. They're their immediate neighbors. And we're going to have a lot to talk about that a little bit later as we as we work into some of the scriptural uh, foundations here that we're going to make. But here's the bottom line. We've made the case for an extremely explosive situation in the Middle East. We see great turmoil in all the neighbors around Israel. And all these nations have made no secret of their hatred of Israel so and we've got historical precedent for war. They've they've attacked Israel several Absolutely, times. Absolutely, sure. So the next question is what's next? And that's part of what we want to go to. Our our theme text being will Israel and Iran go to war? We're we're going to establish a foundation now. We're going to go back in time a little bit here and and try and understand why Israel has a position before God today. In other words, why is Israel important?
2: You're listening to Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with David filling in for Rick. And if you have a thought on today's subject, will Israel and Iran go to war, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866 985 We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, christianquestions.net or .com.
1: You know, last week uh, I, I took a look at your new website Jonathan and it is spectacular and you know one of the things I like about it what's that is that you have redone your archive programs and you have filed them under subject nice so for those in in the audience that want to do a little bit of research on various subjects the new website has it laid out so beautifully really really appreciate that excellent well let's go on and, and start to build our foundation here Uh, And we want to answer this question, why is Israel important? Our first scripture that we want to take a look at is in Romans chapter 11, uh, 1 and 2. And uh, Jonathan, just read the bold here in our our script uh, to make the point
2: here of what God has in mind. Hath God cast away his people? God forbid. God hath not cast away his people. You know, this is a very important uh,
1: comment by the Apostle Paul, because there are many out there that don't believe that Israel has any part in God's plan in the future. It has been a complete transfer over to the
2: the Christian dispensation. Right, that they lost all privilege and all blessing from God. Yeah, that's true. There is that thought.
1: Well, Paul is very clear here uh, that, that that's not the case. And we're going to explain that a little bit more uh, about that uh, as we go on. In Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 7, we have another promise. And uh,
2: Jonathan, you could read that. And he said unto me, Son of man, the place of my throne, and the place of the soles of my feet, where I dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever, and my holy name shall the house of Israel no more defile, neither they nor their kings, by their whoredom, nor by the carcasses of their kings in their high places. This text is really interesting because it shows
1: that God knows how disobedient Israel has been through the ages. Yes. And normally we think, well, disobedience, that's it, you're rejected. But God acknowledges that, but he still says, I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. Forever. This is something that uh, God has given a promise, and he's not going to welch on.
2: Excellent. Well, uh, the next question david that we have is why would god direct them since they don't believe in jesus you know that's a great question uh, we know the scripture that says
1: there is no other name given under heaven whereby men may be saved except for jesus that's right and you go to israel today you ask about jesus they, they don't don't believe it at all but you know we have already seen that one of the problems with israel now is a blindness that they have now it's come from some hardness of heart but god has permitted it And it's very interesting if you look at Bible scholars and Bible students that have commented upon these prophecies regarding Israel going all the way back to the 19th century. The vast majority of them have pointed out that Israel would be gathered in unbelief. How about that? So this is an interpretation from the scriptures. Let's go back to Romans chapter 11. Now, our our theme text, we're going to read this again. We're going to read it from the King James Version this time. But in in verses 25 through 29, Paul makes a point about what God is doing and gives us the reason why God has an interest, even though the Jews today don't believe in, in, in Jesus.
2: For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake, for the gifts and Calling of God are without repentance. This is beautifully expressed.
1: Here's the rub, Jonathan, that God made certain promises to their forefathers. I mean, all you only have to go back in Genesis and see what God promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and these promises are good forever. God doesn't welch on his promises. So what Paul is saying here is that Israel is has a blindness now, and they're enemies of the gospel. But he says that they still have something in mind because God has promised it to their forefathers.
2: This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with David, sitting in for Rick. Our subject this morning will Israel and Iran go to war? Coming up, has Bible prophecy already been fulfilled for Israel, even though they don't believe in Jesus? That's next.
0: You're listening to Christian Questions.
2: Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan, here with David, sitting in for Rick. And our topic this morning, will Israel and Iran go to war? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866 985 all we're live Sunday mornings from seven to nine that means we 're on right now and our website christianquestions dot net and david you 've been a guest uh, several times uh, on the program, and this subject happens to be one of those subjects that you 've been on before and you have this love and passion for
1: why Why is that well you know it 's a really exciting subject and it 's got a lot of components here that just delight me, perhaps the most important, and we mentioned it at the end of the last segment, God keeps his promises. You know, All of us want to serve God as best we can. And when we look that God has given us promises, we can look to Israel and see that God always keeps his promises. So it's a real increase uh, for our faith. And the other thing is when you look at Israel, especially the fact that they're still in their blindness, the, the watch, care, and love that God has for them. I was listening last night to a, a little program on miracles in Israel, and just to show you how incredible it is that Israel has survived all these thousands of years and come back to their land, in 1948, when they had declared independence, the next day they were attacked by, I believe, 12 nations simultaneously. Wow. Now, here's what their armaments considered, uh, consisted of. Are you ready? I'm ready. One cannon and seven tanks. Against 12 surrounding countries. Y- yes, and thousands and tens of thousands of people coming out. And they won. Y- you know, they made it's mention. A miracle. Well, it is. And they made mention of, uh, you know, West Point is like the, the bastion for studying battle and studying war strategy sure, and whatnot. Sure, Well, they don't study Israel because the outcomes in Israel are too improbable. so. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. (laughs) They don't do that at all. Well, we're back to our question here of what Bible prophecy has already been fulfilled for Israel. And this is important in establishing the foundation that where Israel is today is where that they should be according to Bible prophecy. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 30. And we
2: want to read, uh, uh, Jonathan, just read verse 3. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave them to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Now, this last phrase, they shall possess
1: it, is really important in understanding that this is uh, an end-time prophecy. Now, this was given back at the time when Babylon came against Israel, and they were all evacuated and pulled right up out of the land and brought to Babylon. Yes. Well, they came back. But did they possess the land in the sense of having it? No, they were Not vassals. Not at that time. No, they were yeah. vassals to other kings. Mm-hmm. And it continued through medieval Persia, through Rome, and then they were yanked out of, uh, out of the land again in 70 A.D. and in, in the decades that followed. And then for centuries they weren't in the land. But they have come back now and they possess it.
2: Well, David, let's go to the phones. We have Tracy from Indiana. Good morning, Tracy, and welcome to Christian Good morning.
5: Questions. morning, how are
2: you? Good. Um, first
5: off, I just want to say I love the show. I listen every week.
2: Wonderful.
1: Thank you so much, Tracy.
5: You're welcome. Um, no. My firstborn, I put up for adoption. Um, uh, just wasn't ready for, her to be a mother, but, uh, thank God that, um, I was able to find a couple that raised her very, very well. Um, she was raised Jewish. And um, at the age of 18, she was dating a Gentile, and she decided to go to church. Well, about a week or so later, she she calls me and says, you know, I was brought up Jewish, and I love my parents, and I love my religion, but they didn't tell me the whole story. And now she goes to synagogue on Saturday and church on Sunday.
1: C- covering and, all the bases, huh, Tracy?
5: Yeah, well, well, I, I, to me, I think it's it's, um, some of the Jewish uh, elders at the time. I mean, look at who gave him the Jesus the tomb. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I believe some of them at the end were like, okay, uh, maybe I was wrong, um, and not everybody got the whole picture. And as far as Israel and the prophecies are concerned, absolutely. Thing, you know, I mean, help. the Bible is his word, so you have to believe in that. But um I'm just blessed to be here during this time. I think it's wonderful that God thinks that the people, the, the believers on this earth, are strong enough to go through it and faithful enough. And that's it. Thank you.
1: Oh, good talking with you. Thank you, Tracy. You know, Tracy brings up a good point. Um, When you've got two choices here, do you go to be part of Israel, or do you go to be part of Christ? Well, clearly, Paul tells us that in the Gospel Age, there is one call, and that's the call to follow Jesus. The fact that God has a different program in mind for the Jews is, in fact, a different program. Mm -hmm. But certainly in the New Testament, Paul did not direct people back to Israel, he just acknowledged, well, they have something, God hasn't forgotten them, but we have got something better. We've got the Christ.
2: Well, thanks again, Tracy, for calling in and, and sharing with us. Yeah,
1: appreciate that very much. Well, going back to uh, our Jeremiah 30 text that you read, you see that the promises of Israel according to the flesh are tied up into the, in the land. It was the whole thing. You go back to the law of Moses, everything concerned the land, and so the connection of the people with the land is palpable. And then being back in the land today is is really wonderful let 's look at another scripture, uh, Amos chapter nine. Now, in our notes here we 've got uh, uh, verses eleven, fourteen, and fifteen and let me say one thing about Christian questions rewind. Uh, There's a lot of scripture that we have that we don't have an opportunity to uh, quote on the air. But if you go to Rewind on the Christian Questions website, you'll be able to get a lot more scripture and a lot more background uh, on the the things that we're talking about. And sign up for the full
2: edition. It's available by email, sign up only. It includes comprehensive excerpts, transcript, and fully quoted scriptures, plus bonus material, all presented in a reader-friendly format full of graphics and illustrations. And that's very important for this subject, the graphics, David, because you have several maps in our outlines to see you know, what, where Israel was in the past, where they are today. And you need to visualize You need to see it to see how the Lord is working in their lives. So, again, go to ChristianQuestions.com or .net and check, check out CQ Rewind, the full edition.
1: Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. And when we get on a little bit uh, uh, later on in our program, we talk about the location of nations. That map will be real helpful to, uh, to our audience. Well, back to Amos. Let's read Amos uh, chapter 9, verse 15.
2: And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Oh, this is this is a great text. This is a forever text. This is a forever text, which means that
1: when they were pulled out from Babylon, it didn't apply. When they were pulled out by Rome, it didn't apply. But they're there today, and they will not be pulled out and again. And it applies <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter sixteen, verse sixteen. And uh, this, this has a very sobering part to it because uh, we relate it to experiences that Israel has had, the Jews have had, in the 20th century, not all of which have been very pleasant.
2: Behold, I will send for me many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after I will send many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. Hunters and fishers.
1: When We got to the 20th century. It was time for a favor to begin to return to Israel, and it was God's will that the people come back to the land of promise many of them were comfortable where they were. They didn't want to come back. I mean, this was true even back in the 6th in the century B.C. when they were in Babylon, when the door opened for them to come back to the land, a lot stayed in Babylon. They had businesses and families there. They didn't want to come. Sure. A very similar situation today. So there was incentives.
2: So what, what, what are the Fishers, then?
1: Well, the Fishers, we would suggest, are the Zionist movement. These were uh, Jewish preachers going all the way back to the 19th century that began to recognize the relevancy of prophecies and to tell their people, hey, we need to go back to the land of promise. So this is
2: enticing them. Come on, this is special. Let's a- go. A-
1: exactly, just like a fisherman would, would would put a hook with a with a worm on it, gotcha. and enticing to get them to come.
2: But the hunters, David.
1: Well, the hunters now. This is another phase, which is uh, which is very sad. By the way, I, I need to explain something here that's important. Jehovah's saying here is that I will send fishers and I will send hunters. It can be misunderstood to say that God is responsible for a lot of the bad things that have happened to the Jewish people. Uh uh The way that we understand it is that God permitted certain circumstances that he could have overruled, but he allowed it to happen because it had an end. And the hunter's unfortunately we think of the the nazi persecutions the holocaust we think of the the russian pogroms the the, the programs that they had against the jews uh, the hate I, I
2: thought pogroms was a typo i thought <laughs> <laughs> like what's a pogrom <laughs> and I, I i had to look it up and david it's an anti-Jewish uh, rioting going on in Russia. And yeah. So I learned something very important yesterday. Yeah, you,
1: you, you put an R in there, it's programmed.
2: <laughs> exactly. But that, that, that's not
1: the word. Yeah, in fact, you know, you can see a little bit of what a, a pogrom is. It, it, those of you that have watched Fiddler on the Roof, mm. you remember some of the hatred and the uh, persecution that uh,
2: that's right during his daughter's wedding exactly I remember that part and exactly. then they were kicked out of the town after that
1: yeah okay Yeah. yeah. This, is, this is the hunting phase it, it, it made the Jews uncomfortable everywhere they realized that there is no place on earth safe that they can live except in the land of promise okay <laughs> that, that's perfect well now w- let's relate this back to specific history we have just a splendid text here in Hosea chapter 2 verse 15
2: that we can relate to specific things that happened to Israel at the end of the 19th century. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the, the valley of Achor which means trouble for a door of hope, Petatikva, and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Yes, now when
1: uh, Jonathan was reading that folks, you, if you were following along in the Bible, you saw the word Achor but you didn't see the word trouble. Well, that, that's what Achor means. Mm-hmm. And door of hope is in the Hebrew, Petatikva. Now mm-hmm. let me give you a little history here. You know that the Jews were not allowed to own land uh, in the uh, area of Palestine from about the first, second century after the Romans kicked them out. They were so rebellious, they said, we, you, you know, you people got to get completely out of the land. And they chased them out. And And so Jews were really not permitted to own any land for centuries. And that brings us to the uh, 1900s, to the the the, uh, the 18th, 19th century. Uh, I'm sorry, the 1800s, 19th century. And at that time, Turkey was in charge of the land of Israel. They had political control. Okay. And, and again, the law was you couldn't sell any land to a Jew. Well, in 1878, uh, Turkey needed some help from Great Britain. And so there were political arrangements that were made. It was sort of give and take, and Britain agreed to help them if they would do certain things, and that one of them was to open up land for sale to Jews. And so, in eighteen seventy-eight, a a group of Jews got together and they brought they bought some land. And by the way, this was not beautiful Iowa farmland. They got no. It, it, it was swampy land. It was malaria. Oh ridding. no! It was it was the poorest land possible. But you know, for the Jew at that time, it was his. He was possessing it. And they paid for it, and they established the very first... They paid for it. Oh, yeah, they... they
2: bought back their own land they that they were promised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I,
1: you know, and that's important because you uh, hear a lot today about ownership of land. Whose land is it? Especially with the Palestinian issues mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. things like that. So much of the land that is in Israel today was purchased by uh, reverent Jews who just wanted to get back into the land they promised. But in 1878, this group, they established the, what we would call a kibbutz today, the first
2: kibbutz. And guess what they named it, Jonathan? What did they name it? Petah Tikva. Door of hope. Door of hope. And this scripture in Hosea 2.15 identifies door of hope. Yeah. that Oh, that sends shivers. Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons
1: why the the study of this subject is so interesting, because you can connect it up with real history. It's not just this academic theory uh, in a uh, religion Bible 101 class. It relates to what's really going on. And, of course, from there um, they spread out uh, and they have developed that land that was 80% desert. Uh, You don't need to do too much research today to find out just how productive the land of Israel is. They're one of the the largest uh, exporters of of food and flowers uh, in uh, in northern Europe, in in the whole area there.
2: David, I was thinking of the sacrifice of all the people that established um, this kibbutz. Uh, because of the malaria being there, I wonder how many hundreds or thousands of people died tilling the soil, bringing that land where it was livable. Uh, I'm, what what a sacrifice! It, it was and a, people kept coming. It was at great cost, Jonathan. You're exactly
1: right. But they had this vision in their hearts of reestablishing Israel. I mean, some of the other things that they did. Uh, Hebrew was a dead language. They brought Hebrew. Hebrew today is spoken. The first time that a dead language has been resurrected and spoken by a whole nation.
2: Oh, that's that's special.
1: Yeah. One more point. 70 years exactly. From 1878 brings us to 1948. Okay. Oh, 1948. That's a special date. That's a special date. That's when Israel declared political independence. 70 you know? years. Okay. And you know, 70 years is is a, a period you hear a lot in the scripture as well. Oh, good point. Good point. Well, let's get to go on. There's uh, one more scripture that uh, we want to take a look at. Zechariah
2: chapter 12 and verse 6. In that day will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire in a sheath. And they shall devour all the people round about, on the right hand and on the left. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem.
1: Now, now, this has a direct connection with history again. When Israel won their independence in 1948, they did not win Jerusalem. Oh, that's right. Jerusalem still continued in, uh, in the Arab hands at that time. Well, the 1967 war, the, the, the Six-Day War, in which uh, Israel just rolled over their, their, uh, their opponents, they regained Jerusalem and declared it immediately as the capital
2: of Israel. This prophecy was fulfilled in Zechariah 12.6. Yeah, wow. In
1: 1967.
2: It's really something, isn't it? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan, here with David, sitting in for Rick. And our subject this morning, Will Israel and Iran Go to War? Coming up, does Psalms 83 predict a future war for Israel? Who are they fighting? You'll be surprised. That's next.
0: You're listening to Christian
2: Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with David sitting in for Rick. And our subject this morning, will Israel and Iran go to war? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866 985 for all we're live Sunday mornings from seven to nine. That means we're on right now, and the conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.com. Go to, uh, go on. It's on demand with tons of topics of all kinds of featured audio archives, CQ Rewind, Facebook, and our blog. Again, go to ChristianQuestions.net. Well, David, we're so glad that you're here, helping us out with this. This. Amazing subject. Th- this is great material, uh, Jonathan. Do you, are you the kind of guy that
1: gets goosebumps? I do. <laughs> you know, when I when you read scripture and then you see the fulfillment in in modern day, uh, it is really a thrilling thing. Again, another confirmation that that God knows what's going on. God keeps His promises, and and that's at this national, uh, global level. Uh, how well we can take it now at a personal level that know each of those precious promises in the scripture for those of us that are footstep followers of Jesus. We know that each of them is going to be fulfilled and God keeps his promises. That's what this subject does for me. Yes, me too. Well, we've been talking about uh, uh, establishing a foundation that Israel is indeed being worked with by God today. Even though they don't believe in Jesus. Even though they don't believe Jesus. But, you know, the point is... That they will come to that. And, and we'll see that as we, as we get on a little bit. So, what's next um, for
2: Israel according to the Bible, David?
1: Well, we're going to take a look at, at the 83rd Psalm and uh, do a verse by verse study in, in all of that, at least as time allows. You know, and I might, I might say this proviso for our listeners. Uh, we are Bible students. We're not prophets. I mean, I wish I could be dogmatic and say, Jonathan, you know, here's this, and here's what's next, and here's where it goes. Uh, we, we can't. What we can do, however, is study the topic carefully and try to put the prophecy, prophecies together as best as we can and try to get a flow. And that's what we're doing here this morning. So this is a suggested flow. It, it, it appeals to me. We, we put them in the right order. And when I say flow, one of the two or two of the prophecies that we that are real integral to all of this are the 83rd Psalm, and the 38th chapter of Ezekiel. Now, we're going to take the 83rd Psalm first, and and we'll explain why as we get into it. But we think that that has a prophecy that that occurs before the 38th chapter of Ezekiel that we'll get in 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 a subsequent uh, segment. So
2: two different battles are still future, and you're drawing that from these... Um, precisely prophecies.
1: okay precisely well uh, turn your Bibles to Psalm 83 uh, we're going to be reading from the King James Version so it might change a little bit from what you have there but we're going to start with the first five verses of Psalm 83
2: keep not thou silent O God hold not thy peace and be not still O God for lo thine enemies make a tumult and they that hate thee have lifted up the head they have taken crafty counsel against thy people and consulted against thy hidden ones They have said, Come, and let us cut them off from being a nation. Then the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have counseled together with one consent. They are confederate against thee. Jonathan, in verse 4, these enemies say, Let
1: us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. Have you heard that before, recently?
2: (laughs) Sounds... Oh, so familiar.
1: <laughs> yeah, and in fact, our first soundbite at the start of the program right. was an illustration of that. And it is the kind of rhetoric that we have been hearing from the, the Arab Muslim neighbors around Israel for decades so uh, this is current by a, by any measure current today absolutely by the way just as an aside we don't have time to go into it but we invite our listeners to look at the second psalm the second psalm also has an end time application and you'll find some of the language in there uh, the, the, uh, very similar to uh, psalm 83 alright so what the psalm is saying it's establishing here that Israel in the end times would be hated by her neighbors Mm-hmm. And they would be confederate against thee, and of course there's the Arab League and the Arab Confederation we've got several of these and the, the rhetoric is unending so that's the situation now in the next few verses we have a
2: list of who these are and this is very interesting let's read verses 6 and 7 the tabernacles of Edom and the Ishmaelites and Moab and the H- Hagarines Gebel and Ammon and Amalek the Philistines with the inhabitants of Tyre. Well, that was a tongue twister. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> yeah, David.
1: <laughs> yeah, these ancient names, you know, I guess they had great linguists back then, I don't know. Well, it, probably in, in modern days, the, the only name that you might recognize as, as uh, something modern is Tyre. You know, there is a city of, uh, of, uh, of Tyre, uh, I, I believe, even today. But now, we get into here a question of how do you interpret that? Now, if you go to a map, and again, we, in, we invite everybody after the program uh, to go to Christian Christians Rewind, because there will be a map that we're going to upload that will be part of the Rewind document that shows the location of all of these nations at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, the, the way that we're going to interpret this, Jonathan, is we're going to look where these ancient um, tribes and ancient nations were located geographically. Okay, And again, I've got the map in front of me, but you folks will have it uh, a little bit later. But you you look at that geographic, and then you ask the question, well, who's in that area today?
2: Because we see that this prophecy is really sounding like today
1: yeah yeah okay you know, that, uh, that makes sense you, you know a, a god couldn't couldn't have included in the Well, he could have done anything but it would have been really un, unusual if he would have said you know and uh and uh, and jordan and egypt and and you know when all they the were, modern, yeah, weren't there <laughs> yeah yeah the, the modern day names that <laughs> sure. didn't exist back
2: then so it's the only connection that we have oh, okay let's start off so Who's w- where Edom was years ago?
1: Well, Edom uh, exists today in the uh, area of southern Jordan. Now, Jordan is to the east of, of uh, Israel, uh, on the other side of the Jordan River, and uh, it's a monarchy, uh, as, as many of those nations are, but that's where ancient Edom was located. How about Ishmaelites? Very similar. They're, they're also in that southern area. Jordan is, is kind of a sliver, and it's got, it includes a lot of area to the south, so oh, both okay. Edom and the Ishmaelites lived in that area. How how about Moab oh, Moab was right in where Jordan is today, right to the east of uh, of Israel Hag-
2: Hagarenes are next,
1: uh, very similar. They're, uh, they lived east of uh, of the Jordan River, at least of Israel, and uh, probably northern Jordan, maybe even going up to ancient uh, and modern Damascus. All right. the next one's Giebel. Giebel now is to the north. Giebel is where Lebanon would be located today. And Ammon? Ammon is another one of those uh, that's in the Jordan area. By the way, uh, 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 Ammon and uh, a few of the others, th- these are all Semitic nations. You know, I didn't mention that up oh, to this point in time. Oh, that's a good point. Okay. So they're, they're cousins of Israel. They have the same uh, forebears that, that going uh, going back. And Amalek would be next? Amalek would be south of Israel, down in uh, what today is the Sinai area. And the Philistines. The Philistines lived in what today is Gaza, where the uh, oh. where the Palestinians are. By the way, some some have said, "Well, the you know, Palestinian Phil- in Philistine is it, is it the same uh, people in the blood?" Well, the answer is no. Uh, the, the Philistines actually were, uh, I, I believe, a Hamitic people, but uh, they're located where they are. The, the similarity to Palestine is, is just coincidental. And the last is Tyre. And Tyre is up in uh, in uh, Lebanon. So we, when we look at where these are located, we see that they have geographical correspondences. They are all Ara- the Arab Muslim neighbors today. They are all of the same family of Israel, being of the family of Shem, one of the three sons of. Oh. That's where the word Semite comes
2: from. Oh, I see. Okay, very. very. Very good. Well, you're listening to Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with David, sitting in for Rick. And our subject, Will Israel and Iran Go to War? If you have any questions on our subject, give us a call and ask your questions at ChristianQuestions.net or go to our Facebook or email us at Rick at ChristianQuestions.net.
1: All right, a few other things that we want to take a look at. Um, someone might say, well, did this have a historical uh, reference? I mean, was this a time when all of these nations attacked Israel in the past? The answer is no. There, there has never been a confederacy of this particular uh, brand or, or banding of nations.
2: All right, so what we read in Psalms 83, that literally never took it, place. It never happened okay. in the past, which okay. is
1: another reason why we're applying it to modern times. And again, when you look at uh, geographically the nations that are in this area, they are in a confederacy. They are banded together. They do have the same heart hatred of Israel and the desire to destroy her.
2: This is exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it, it, it is today's news taking place in a in a scripture that was written thousands of years ago. Ah, amazing! It, it's really something. Well, a few more of uh, of interest here. A few more items. Um, Edom and Ishmael, we we or Ishmaelites, we recognize we're in the land occupied by southern Jordan today. While Moab and Ammon make up the rest of the country. By the way, Moab and Ammon, you probably don't remember, but these were sons of Lot. Oh, you know? I didn't. So that, that gives us the connection back up with the family of Abraham, saying that they were uh, the Semites. Uh, Amman is the modern spelling of Amman, the capital of Jordan. Again, you can see a lot of linguistic connections uh, there.
2: That's interesting.
1: By the way, uh, there's a few that have noted, Well, well they, they say, uh, David, uh, doesn't Jordan have a peace treaty with Israel? Well, in fact, they do. But so does Egypt. And you can see how good that, that peace
2: treaty Uh-oh.
1: is. uh <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes there has been political reasons why some of these enemies have made peace with Israel, uh, especially considering the losses that they've incurred in wars in the past. You know, mm-hmm. you don't, they, they don't want it to go too far. Good point. But the hatred remains, and the peace treaty won't be worth the paper it's written on when it, when the Arabs, and particularly the Muslim Arabs, uh, see an advantage to attack Israel. It's happened in the past. It will, will happen again. Well, I'm going to move on down here because there is one more... Nation that uh, is mentioned here uh, in verse 8 that we haven't talked about.
2: Assur also is joined with them and have holpened the children of Lot, Selah. Yeah,
1: remember I said Ammon and Moab, children of Lot, there's that Semitic
2: connection as well. Yes.
1: Well, well Assur or Asher uh, is a reference to the ancient um, city and ancient uh, nation of Assyria. It was one of the great world powers uh, after Egypt and before oh. Babylon at that time, and uh, Asher or Assyria was north of Israel.
2: Now, now, David, now this is not a Semitic nation like the other ones that you just listed, right? Oh, you are. Is there a uh,
1: difference? You are an astute observer. <laughs> Very good. There is. Uh, And you're absolutely right. They are of the uh, descendancy of Japheth, uh, one of the other three sons. You have Shem, Ham, and Japheth, were the three sons of Noah. Uh, The Hamites they came down and and, and inhabited Africa. Uh, The Semites invented or inhabited what we would say was the Middle East, and the Aryans or those that were of Japheth were northern, northern Europe, north of Israel. Uh, Asher was an Aryan nation. It was not a Semitic nation. But notice that it doesn't say Asher is part of those that is is going to attack. Right. It says they're they're helping out. They are in some way uh, providing assistance to Joined them. with them. Yeah. And okay. when you look at, uh, in recent history, at least in 20th century history, you find that one of the greatest world powers in the north, namely Russia, has been supplying arms and jets and helicopters to many of these nations. Egypt in particular, you know, although Egypt is not mentioned here, it's just an illustration of where they get many of these these armaments from. And, you know, our theme text has to do with Iran.
2: Yeah, we haven't even come
1: there yet. We haven't come (laughs) there yet. We're going to get there in Ezekiel 38. But Iran also is to the north, and it is a... Aryan country. Ah, it's
2: Aryan also.
1: And what does Iran do as far as armaments for uh, Syria and for Hezbollah and Hamas? They provide it. So we think that all of this is part of what's going on in preparation for this war. Oh, now the next thing that happens is the results. All of these these nations now we've identified who they are. We believe. Uh, We have made a suggestion. They are all surrounding Israel. They all have this hatred, and they all said, we're going to remove Israel from the map.
2: That's right, push them in the water, off the face of the
1: earth. And they said that in 1948. We're going to push them into the Mediterranean Sea. Yep. So now what happens? Well, the rest of of Psalm 83 tells us what the results of that will be. But that will
2: be coming up next hour. It will indeed. So those that don't have the program... Uh, for the second hour go to christianquestions.net and hit listen live so you can hear the answer will Israel and Iran go to war exactly
1: this is David sitting in for Rick with Jonathan this is Christian Questions we'll be back after the news break and stuff and as Jonathan mentioned if you don't have the second hour go to christianquestions.net hit listen live and leave your comments on Facebook we'd love to hear from you will Israel and Iran go to war CQ will be back shortly in the meantime think about it
0: Christian questions
1: every evening I turn my worries over to God he's going to be up all night anyway that's from Mary C. Crowley good morning everyone and welcome back to Christian questions talk radio with breakfast with Jonathan and Rick only Rick's out today so this is David Stein sitting in for him This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience and promise never to talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different
2: perspective. Jonathan, what is our topic for this morning? Well, David, um, our topic is uh, awe-inspiring as far as I'm concerned with prophecy and seeing God's hand dealing uh, with Israel. And the question is, will Israel and Iran go to war And our theme text is found in Romans 11, verses 25 through 27. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written The deliverer will come from Zion, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. Thank you, Jonathan. Uh, you know, the the first
1: hour we did a lot of scripture. We established kind of a foundation that there's a very critical situation in Israel today and around her neighbors. The enemies. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. so so many. We looked at scriptures that describe how God has brought uh, favor back to Israel's, brought them back to their land, all in spite of not yet being believers in Jesus. That's right. That was an important point. It and, is, and we we gave the reason why that God has such love for the forefathers that his promises are still good today and and he would bring them back, really gather them in unbelief and set them up for a time where they will be able to believe in Jesus and accept him.
2: Excellent, excellent. Well, now... Um we're we're still um interested in the answer which we didn't get to at the first hour will israel and iran go to war
1: yeah, yeah we kind of put that off we haven't talked too much about iran because it they it really occurs in just one scripture as we'll see uh, in in uh, Ezekiel chapter 38 our number and we invite everybody to give a call in is 866 866- 985 4255. It's toll free, 866 985 for all. And check out our new website. It's just marvelous. And don't forget CQ Rewind. We've been talking about a lot of things here that have a visual component. That's and, right. You know, John, I wish there was a way to give maps over the radio. Don't, don't <laughs> it know how doesn't do work. That. <laughs> but they'll be on CQ Rewind for you. You'll be able to uh, read them all. We want to start off this hour with one more sound bite. And this sound bite is interesting because uh, it brings in the threat that Iran and others have had toward Israel and expands it to the United States. Now, you're going to hear in this soundbite, it's al- almost a minute long, you'll hear first the Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, followed by an individual named Kenneth Timmerman, who is the Executive Director of the Foundation for Democracy in Iran. Here's a guy that wants to have a democracy rather than an, an Islamic uh, Republic uh, form of government. And finally, we'll end up with Walad Phileas, the author of a book called The Coming Revolution. Now listen to what these people say insofar as the threat to the United States. Have you ever considered the implications
2: of a nuclear Iran?
1: A nuclear-armed Iran is going to spark an arms race in the Middle East and the greater region. Whenever Iran has developed a new weapon that can be used against Israel, they've shipped it to Hezbollah. Now those missiles give Iran, through Hezbollah, the capability of hitting any target in Israel. Once the Iranian missiles are
6: up and running on launching pads in Lebanon, they can reach not just Israel,
1: they can reach Western targets. The Iranians carried out a test to launch a Scud missile from a barge in the Caspian Sea. Many people believe that uh, this is what the Iranians would like to do with the United States, put a
7: missile in a cargo ship going off of our coast.
2: Wow.
1: So you see that this is not just an academic analysis of what's happening in Israel. This threat is a worldwide threat that even affects our people. And you remember from the very first soundbite, uh, they called United States the, the domain of Satan. Remember uh, President Ahmadinejad yes, said that? Yes, that's right. That hatred for the Western society and Western way of life, that non-Islamic way of life, is palpable, and they would like to, to uh, get rid of it. You, you know, I remember in 9-11, uh, after the World Trade Center towers fell, There were many of these countries in which supposedly we were helping them, giving them uh, money and things like that. Sure. Here they are cheering and dancing and whatnot. Celebrating in the streets. uh, This shows that the hatred is is far beyond
2: that. Well, let's go to the phones. We have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning, Julius.
7: Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning, David. You sound like you went to the same school that Rick did. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, that's a compliment, thank <laughs>
7: you. <laughs> it's intended to be as a compliment. Uh, you're so efficient at what you do and knowledgeable. Uh, we appreciate your program, really. It's a Bible study. Uh, what else is there in this world? Uh, there's no other hope. Appreciate uh, the timely consideration of Israel. And, uh, I see. I perceive the situation over there is an uh, answer to the question, will uh, uh, Israel and Iran go to war? I see it, I think, pretty much uh, the way you see it in terms of there's going to be a coalition, a nations coming against Israel, as uh, noted in uh, Zechariah 12 and 14. And uh, I do not see a nuclear holocaust. I do not see a nuclear conflict. I think it would be untimely with God's plan because it would take so long to uh, uh, clean up the radiation and so forth. You see what I'm saying? I just I just don't see a nuclear conflict, but I do see a coalition. And uh, the the metaphor that I like is uh, another David and Goliath, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I I see God being on David's side. Now, uh, the, the interesting question, I had that question asked me when I talk about this subject with some folks. He says, what about the, uh, the Jesus issue? And uh, Tracy, I think, or oh, somebody brought it up earlier, I forget now.
2: Um, yeah, Tracy, yeah. Uh, uh,
7: you know, this issue of uh, Jesus, and uh, I think you you might have it in your notes, Zechariah 12.10. Well, in the midst of the conflict, it's obvious that God is on uh, on their side, in this conf- the upcoming conflict against the coalition. And then they will recognize, they'll acknowledge the Lord Jesus. Uh, that's Zechariah 12.10. In the interest of time, I will not uh, quote it. And uh, I like uh, Zechariah 8.23. Mm-hmm. Uh, ten men will take hold of the skirt of a Jew and say, We will go with you because we have heard that God is with you. And uh, finally, as Israel goes, the rest of the world will follow. God bless. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Joyce. Appreciate your call. Thank you, Julius. You know, I think Julius got a copy of our script. Our didn't? notes.
2: <laughs> He's reading our scriptures.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, that's good. And, and uh, his reference to Zechariah 12.10, I mean, we can take a little divert here for a moment is is so important because it describes the time when the blindness will be taken away from Israel and they will look upon Jesus. This is the most important thing. When Jesus, who is their king, delivers them. And we're going to talk about it when we get to Ezekiel 38. But that's later. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a marvelous time. Well, we're still in Psalm 83, and we have worked our way down through identification of the players in that particular war, and now from verse 9 to verse 18, this is a little bit of a long, but we want to read them all because there's some metaphors and symbols here. This describes the result of this battle with
2: Israel's near neighbors. Do unto them as unto the Midianites, as to Sisera, and as to Jabin, at the brook of Kisan, which perished at Endor. They became as dung for the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb, and like Zeb, yea, and all their princes like Zeba, and as Zalman, sorry, <laughs> who said, Let us take to ourselves the house of God in possession. O my God, make them like a wheel, as the stubble before the wind, as the fire burneth a wood, as the fire setteth the mountains on fire. So persecute them with thy tempest, and make them afraid with thy storm. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and troubled, Forever, yea, let them be put to shame and perish, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah are the Most High over all the earth. Thank you, Jonathan. Now,
1: as you read the names of some of these uh, individuals and tribes, Midianites and Sisera and Jabin, Kishon, and these are all names that probably most people are scratching their head. Yeah, I was. Well, well, <laughs> this really is a great Bible study, because if you go back and you look at the occasions and events that are, that are involved with each of these that are given here in verses 9, 10, and 11, You find in every case Israel wins an overwhelming victory. That's what they all have in common—an overwhelming victory. So
2: there was a a complete military loss for all their enemies at that victory.
1: Complete in every case. None of these enemies ever came back to bother them again. Uh, And then some of the other metaphors here: make them like a wheel. You know, just you ever see a wheel going down the hill? It's gone. Uh, Stubble before the wind—it just gets blown away. Fire burneth wood. Flame set mountains on fire. This describes the results of this battle, which are a thorough victory for Israel that completely removes the military threat uh, permanently. Now, we know that Israel has had several wars with uh, their Arab neighbors. Sure. They may have several more. This is an area, again, we mentioned earlier, we're not prophets, we're Bible students. What battle this describes is the last one. I mean, there may be two more, there may be three more, we don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. But when this last one occurs, there will that threat will be eliminated permanently. Now, the last part of this is important as well. That that, that men may know, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over the earth.
2: Well, to know something, you've got to be alive. That's right, and it also says that they may seek thy name. The enemies, that they would seek... Exactly, God. exactly, and and
1: this is the point of the wonderful kingdom of God under Christ, that his interest is in giving all mankind, not just taking away the blindness from Israel, that's that's a sort of a special, but all mankind has a blindness. I mean, the hatred that the uh, Islamicists have toward Israel now is something that they've been taught of as children. Mm-hmm. In, in many cases, uh, it's entirely beyond their control. We feel sorry for them. But they will have this blindness removed as well. They will recognize who the great God Jehovah is and then go beyond that.
2: All right. You're listening to Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with David, sitting in for Rick. And our subject this morning, Will Israel and Iran Go to War? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866 866-985 985 all We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, christianquestions.com or net.
1: Jonathan, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of our audience are are studied in this area. And we invite you to give a call. You know, let us know what you think. Uh, Give us your comments on this. Uh, Certainly you have been uh, students of this as well, and we'd love to share with you. That's the purpose of our program. All right, real quick now, the results of, uh, of 80, Psalm 83. This is a battle that's yet future. It will result in the removal of the Arab threat, and it will bring about a condition of, of relative peace and security in Israel. And now that brings us to Ezekiel chapter 38. Now, we're going to jump around in Ezekiel 38 a little bit. Uh, I want, I would like to have Jonathan read, first of all, verses 8 11 and 14.
2: After many days thou shalt be visited. In the latter years thou shalt come into the land that is bought, brought back from the sword, and is gathered out of many people, against the mountains of Israel, which have been al- always waste. But it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely, all of them. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages, I will go to them that are re- at rest, that dwell safely all of them dwelling without walls, and having neither bars nor gates. Therefore, Son of Man, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel should dwell safely, shalt thou not know it? Now the reason we read these these texts,
1: uh, kind of out of order and just pulled out of the, uh, the chapter there, is to establish that Israel now, at the point where this begins, is in a condition of peace and safety. Uh, The Arab threat has been removed, and now they're ready to exist without threat. But there is another threat that is brewing, a threat by a fellow by the name of Gog. And we'd like to read that.
2: Ah, we're at the end. (laughs) This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with David sitting in for Rick. Coming up, who is Gog and Magog? And uh, can Israel survive this next attack? You'll be surprised. That's next.
0: You're listening to Christian
2: Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with David, sitting in for Rick. Our subject this morning, Will Israel and Iran Go to War? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866 985 for We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.net or com. So, David... We're back. (laughs) Jonathan. I'm having such a splendid
1: time here. At the the end of the last segment, you caught me by surprise. All of a sudden, we had to go to a break. Time is up. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you and Rick have that down pretty good. But uh, I tell you, this is a great subject. I wish we had a lot more time. Well, we're still in Ezekiel 38. Uh, We read a a few verses that establishes that Israel, after the war described in Psalm 83, has come into a condition of peace and security. Not a condition they have today, by any
2: means. No, that's not now.
1: Yeah, but they, they are at that point in time. And that serves as a temptation to somebody called Gog that we're going to read about And here.
2: Gog is G-O-G,
1: not God, God yes Gog. Yes, G-O-G, exactly right. So let's go back to the
2: start of uh, Ezekiel 38 and read verses 2 through 6. Son of man, set thy face against Gog and the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and the prophecy against him. And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach, and Tubal, I will turn thee back, and put hooks into thy jaws, and will bring thee forth, and all thine army, horses, and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords, Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his bands, and the house of Togarma and of the north quarters and all his bands and many people with thee this certainly is a threatening
1: group isn't it it, it sounds huge <laughs> it is it's very large and and this constant emphasis on armaments you know they they didn't have words back in bible times for tank and AK47 and bazooka and you know they they had to use what the armaments were at that time sure Putting it in modern text, though, we're talking about modern armies now that come back. They see Israel dwelling in safely, safety, and they want to come down here. They're tempted by things that Israel has.
2: All right, so who who are these these nations?
1: Well, that's this is a great list of nations here, and it's one of the reasons why we make a distinction between Psalm 83 and Ezekiel 38. The players are different. In Psalm 83, we saw all Semitic nations—
2: Neighbors all around
1: it all around it now these these are far to the north and uh, Libya to the to the south and west, a, mu- a much further distance away from israel, but here 's the key yeah you know, all of them are non Semitic nations, most of them are Aryan coming from the north, Libya would be Hemetic coming from the south, but they 're not Semitic nations, so different players different war
2: so are we going to answer the question
1: we are we are and uh, remember the question that Jonathan is talking about is our theme question will Israel and Iran go to war uh, how now, do we know Jonathan do you see Iran listed here no well you actually do okay let's put the first one on the list here in verse per- 5 in verse 5 Persia, Persia. guess where Persia is it, could it be it is in fact uh, I think it was in the 1930s I, I should have gotten the historical they changed their name from Persia to Iran Wow, it's the same nation.
2: And there's by the, way, the answer. Iran, there it
1: is. Iran is related to Aryan, Japhetic. You know, it's it's the same connection there, w- which is interesting as far as Muslims go. Uh, Persia or Iran are not Semitic uh, Muslims. They are not. They are not Arabs. They are a, a different race of people entirely. So there they are at the top of the list. This and there's the answer. Yeah. Will they go to war? Yes. And and this is the war. That the scriptures talk about. How about Ethiopia? Well, Ethiopia is in the same place where uh, Ethiopia is today, near the Sudan. Probably ancient Ethiopia included what is Sudan today. It was a larger uh, country, and that's that's Semitic origin, but again, non-Semitic. Libya, Libya, same thing. You know, uh, Omar Gaddafi That's his mm-hmm. country. Uh, this is one of those countries that still has the same name today. Gomer. Gomer was uh, the location of the ancient Sumerians They were in Northeast Asia Minor, and in in what is today uh, perhaps just the uh, the north. Northern and eastern corner of Turkey. Okay. And Togarmah, of the North
2: Quarters. Well, togarmer was ancient uh, ancient uh, Asia Minor, Turkey. Turkey, yep. okay. And many people with thee, yeah, a, the, a mixed company of others. Yeah,
1: that's right. You know, they, they give a list here, or Ezekiel does, but it's good to note that in other places, and we'll look at a scripture here in a moment, it says that God will bring all nations against Israel. So there are the leaders involved here, and this is, this is part of that list, but there would be a very large and mixed uh, group that was coming with and incidentally, uh, we've got another map here. Uh, we invite all of our friends to go to uh, CQ Rewind and you'll be able to see a second map that shows the geographical locations of these ancient uh, ancient cities. Now, there's a few more that were mentioned earlier that we want to talk about. Okay, yeah, like Gog. Well, Gog, you know the the uh, etymology of Gog is very unclear. You go to some of the the ancient uh, or the, some of the commentaries uh, by Bible scholars. Nobody's really sure what the what the word means. But there's no question that it's a it's a sinister force, a, a very malevolent power that's involved here. And we tend to associate it with Satan, the unseen spirit force behind all of this. Against
2: God's chosen people. Exactly right. All right, Magog.
1: Magog, this is the land of Gog. That the, May means land, and so we're talking about those uh, co- those countries that are under control of uh, the demonic forces. Uh, again, you remember the one scripture that says Satan is the god of this world.
2: That's right, the so, prince of this world. That's right. That's so right.
1: He, he controls all of these. Meshach. Misak, again, is a land to the north, and some associate it with Moscow. It is a very, really? Very so Russia city. is north of Israel. Uh, yeah, in fact, it, one of the words there for prince is Rosh. And that sounds like Whoa, Russia. Oh, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. How about yeah. Tubal? Again, another city uh, in the Russian area, Tublisk uh,
2: in Russia today. These are all northern countries that will be coming down. Now, something in this world had to change for all these countries to come down from the north. To Israel in these unwalled villages where they thought there was peace and safety what changed to make this take place
1: well when you look at Israel today Israel is a very prosperous nation for such a small nation as we mentioned earlier they're one of the chief exporters for Europe of, uh, of flowers and uh, of food uh, their technology is seen in just about every uh, country on earth they are advanced they're God's people you know, the Jews have, just by virtue of their genetics... They're blessed, right? They're, they're very blessed. Okay. You know, they, they still have the stiff neck that, uh, <laughs> that uh, uh, Moses talk, talked about. But most importantly, they're beloved, and God is blessing them. And uh, there is this idea in Israel that they want to be a blesser to all the nations of the earth. There's many that have this idea that they see kind of a, uh, a chairmanship here uh, in leading of blessings.
2: So these, these countries from the north are coming to take spoil... Yes. Want wealth? Yeah. It, Is it because they need it to survive? Is there a lack of it where they are? Uh, great, great question, Jonathan. As as the, we
1: get closer and closer to the end, and closer and closer to Armageddon, you will find more and more turmoil throughout the world. We saw some of that in the uh, in our early sound bites. Israel will be a bastion of relative peace and security. Not that they won't have their problems. They're still imperfect people like the rest of us. They make mistakes, don't always do things right. But they have God's blessing. Economically, politically, they've got some great natural resources. You know, the Dead Sea is a repository of of great mineral wealth. That they haven't even... They, yeah, Dredged they, to yeah, to to get yet. That's right. Partially, they haven't done that because of the turmoil in the area. But if mm-hmm. you take away the threat from the Arab neighbors, Ooh. they they could they could uh, this could be a boom for Israel's economy and be something that attracts Gog
2: and the other nations to come down. Well, David, let's go to the phones. We have Robert from California. Good morning, Robert, and welcome to Christian Questions.
6: Good morning. Good morning, uh, Jonathan and David.
2: Good morning, Robert.
6: I have a. I, I guess it would be an age old question and I have my opinions on it but I would like to get your thoughts um what what is what do the Arabs want I mean you have these countries with all of this land surrounding Israel and the land isn't really any better as far as uh what it produces as a matter of fact the Arabs have a lot of the oil um Israel has turned their land into a producing land, but it wasn't really. I mean, it's it's it's, it's much the same as it is over there in Jordan. But um, what what do they? What, and you have Iraq so far away. What do they want? Why are they so hostile always towards the the uh, Israelis, towards the Jews? Robert, uh, what is your thoughts on that? I have mine, but I want to hear yours.
1: <laughs> well, that that's a great question. Uh, I I think I can give you a very simple answer that the hatred is irrational. You know, if somebody does something bad to you, you know, you get upset with them. But in, in nearly all of the wars that Israel has fought, they have been the ones that have been attacked. The hatred is irrational. And this irrational hatred, I think, comes directly from Satan. Satan is controlling things. He's controlling minds. One of the sad things when you look at the education that many of these Palestinian children and Arab children are getting From the time they can read, they're taught about the the, the bad Jew in the most vulgar language that you can imagine and vulgar depictions that you can imagine. They have not known anything else. That will be one of the blessings that comes when that blindness is removed, that these people who hate Israel so much will come to recognize that they've been manipulated. So to answer your question, is there a reason? No. I mean, you you look at Israel. Here's this little tiny sliver of land, and all around it, you have Arab nations that have, in many cases, much better uh, um, natural resources like the oil uh, and so forth and so on. Uh, this is not a rational hatred. Not too much more I can say about that.
6: Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's sort of the conclusion that I've I've come to, and. Uh, Okay, well, I appreciate your, uh, your explanation on that. Thank you. Well, thanks thanks thank you so much. Call.
1: Thanks for your question,
2: Robert. Take Good care. care.
1: You, you know, back all the way back in the time of Adam, uh, Adam and Eve were told about the enmity that would exist between their seed and the, the seed of the serpent. So that is a hatred that is 6,000 years old and continues, but it is one of the things the kingdom will resolve.
2: All right, well, you're listening to Christian questions. I'm Jonathan and here with David sitting in for Rick and our subject uh, it's a lively one. Will Israel and Iran go to war? and we already have the answer yes uh, uh, Iran is called Persia I- in that verse that we just read in Ezekiel, and uh, it's it's black and white, but what else what what about this great battle of Gog and Magog that are coming together from the north against Israel? Well, this is
1: going to be the final battle. In this old system of sin and death, this is the final battle. I think some people would recognize it by the name of Armageddon. Here's, this is it. Here's a connector that that uh, that we can make, and the results of this battle uh, are actually going to be a little bit more complex than uh, most Bible students think. The ultimate result would be God is going to fight for Israel and it will result in the establishment of the kingdom on earth. But there are some developments that take place in between. I want to go back to uh, our uh, a couple more uh, individuals or observer nations that uh, are in Ezekiel 38. Uh, can you read verses 13 and 14?
2: Sheba and Dedan and the other merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Has thou gathered thy company to take a prey? To carry away silver and gold, and to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? Therefore, Son of Man, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwell safely, shalt thou not know it? So here we have a few more nations that are, are uh, mentioned,
1: but they are not attacking nations.
2: All right, and so Sheba was the first. Who, who does that represent?
1: Well, Sheba and Dedan both uh, are in the area of Saudi Arabia. So it almost makes us wonder, after the results of the Battle of Psalm 83, if there isn't some peace that now exists between the Arab neighbors and Israel. Interesting. How about Tarshish? Well, ancient Tarshish was Spain. Now, if you're in Israel, how far is Spain? Well, Spain is all the way at the other end of the Mediterranean, as far west As you could go in ancient times, Mm. I think Tarshish represents Western powers, including the United States. Because where's the United States? It's as far
2: west as you can go in modern times. But these are just observer nations. They're not participating in taking the spoil, Uh, but but they know what's happening. That's exactly right. You know,
1: it sort of suggests, uh, unfortunately for us as citizens of this country that the situation in the United States will continue to uh, get worse and worse. You know, we, we are, to a large extent, at least have been, a protector of Israel. Uh, back in 1973, the seventy-three war, Israel would have lost that, except for the action of President Richard Nixon at that time. But we're going to come to a time when we cannot help Israel. And so we will say to the attack nations, shame on you, you shouldn't be attacking nations. That's sort of the, the tone here. But we will be unable to do anything about, about it. Wow. Unbelievable. Now, how about Zechariah fourteen one through 3? This is part of the complications I talked to you about this wonderful time, terrifying time of
2: Armageddon. Let's read verses 1 through 3. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and, they spoil, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the days of battle.
1: When we read verse 2, we have something very unusual here. Israel
2: loses the battle, at least at the front. What can that mean? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with David sitting in for Rick. Our subject this morning will Israel and Iran go to war? The answer yes, but this battle coming up, does Israel lose a war? Do they? That's next.
0: You're listening to Christian Questions.
2: Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with David, sitting in for Rick, and our subject, Will Israel and Iran Go to War? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985 for all. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.net.
1: Jonathan we have so much to cover and this is the last segment and then on top of it's that crunch time. We, we, we've got two phone calls uh, that <laughs> uh, that that are waiting. Let me just say a, uh, just a real quick things before we go to the phones. We read in Zechariah 14 that the city would be sh- would be taken. And then in uh, verse 3, it says, then the Lord would go forth. in So there is an intermittent period of time in Armageddon, when all these nations come, where Israel appears to lose the first salvo of the war. Okay. And in fact, it has a devastating loss. It says half the city should go forth into captivity. Half the city. Yeah. Now, we don't know if that means 50% or if it's just one of two groups. But what's important here, and we're going to come back to it after our phone calls, is that the residue of the city shall not be cut off and the residue there is translated more often remnant a remnant of faith remnant of faith it occurs so often in the scriptures you can see that god is looking for a remnant of faith to deal with in these
2: very trying times all right let's go to the phones we have keith from tennessee good morning keith and welcome to christian questions oh well,
3: uh, good morning and and what may i say thanks to jesus that's the thing we time will be no more and uh, And I've got to confess uh, that I I used to believe that with respect to Ezekiel chapter 38, uh, all of the chapter referred to an attack on Israel, except verses 10 through 12, which I thought referred to an attack on America. I won't get into that, but I also believe that Zechariah chapter 2, verse 7, Isaiah chapter 47, and uh, and, uh, Revelation and Apocalypse chapter 18 uh, may refer to America. But... uh, with respect to your question, I think the answer is yes. I think we we're within five years of the worst war in history, and uh, the fact that China and Russia, two former enemies of ours, are uh, inbe- are building one or two uh, nuclear subs a month, uh, I've heard, and I've also understand that uh, uh, they've invested over 180 times what we have in bomb shelters, and are buying things they couldn't buy in a major war, such as American grain, medical supplies at a rate. Uh, uh, a thousand percent more than, than I did just a year ago is, is kind of disturbing. Particularly in light of the fact that the last, um, uh, Russian, uh, or Soviet dictator, who's very much alive still, Mikhail Gorbachev, allegedly told, uh, uh, communist insiders that Glasnost and Perestroika was just a ploy to get the w- West or, to, to, uh, uh, fall asleep and disarm after which they'd attack.
1: Well, Keith, th- th- we appreciate your thoughts very much, and one of the things I appreciate about it is that you're showing how complex the character of Armageddon is. It is not simply a battle, but it is a metaphor for a lot of things happening globally. We appreciate your comments <laughs> okay, can very Can I much. say
3: one more thing? Real uh, fast. Real fast. Uh, I think we discussed um, Bible codes with respect to Revelation nine, eighteen, ten, ten, and eighteen four. But with respect to nine, eighteen, one of the world's leading eschatologists says that the, its fulfillment is imminent beyond nuclear war. Um, Dr. Baxter on uh, the Coast to Coast um, talk show, which is the second most popular talk show. God, you know, God bless.
1: Okay. Thank you so much, Keith. Thank you, Keith. Appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, he makes the point of all of these things happening around the world. That is Armageddon. It is a worldwide conflict. It centers in Israel and the Middle East, but it includes the whole world.
4: Okay, back
2: to the phones. We have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning,
1: Randall, and welcome to the program. Good morning, good, Randall.
4: Good morning. Happy Sunday, guys. Hello, Thanks. Mr. Stein. Thank you. We have Psalm sixty nine, thirty six, thirty seven. God will receive Zion, rebuild the cities of Judah. It shall be the heritage of their descendants. Prophecy challenges the Christian. We may feel fear or frustration over current events, war, terrorism, the vulgarity of our popular, much of our popular culture. We may feel out of control, but prophecy reminds us of God's power. That victory is His. Romans eight eighteen. I consider that the sufferings of this present age are as nothing compared with the glory to be revealed for us. Our daily life and conduct matters. We bear witness to Bible scripture to Christ by performing our duties with joy. In World War II, Americans lived war on the home front. The Christian now must ask himself, How do I live Bible prophecy now at home? Isaiah 49.26 all mankind shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob.
1: Thank
2: you, Randall.
4: God bless you guys.
1: Very well stated. So, so many beautiful scriptures. Live the prophecy. I love the way he says it. Make it part of our Christian walk. Recognize Amen. it. Amen. Fantastic. All right, we, uh, just before the, the phone, we were talking about the remnant of faith. And as uh, Jonathan, again, another astute observation from uh, our co-host here uh, about the remnant of faith that is so important, has been important through the age. That's who God wants to reach in these last times. Let's look at Zephaniah chapter 3. We're going to read just a couple of, uh, of uh, clauses from verses 11, 12, and 13.
2: And I will take away out of the midst of them And I will also leave in the midst of them and the remnant of Israel. You see, so take
1: away. Remember the half the city that goes forth into captivity? Yes. There's the take away. Remember that what's left, they're, they're the resi- the residue or remnant, yes. and then in verse thirteen it identifies that. Yes. So we see several things here. You know, number one, there is a class in Israel that are not faithful; they're shameful transgressors of the law, and they're removed by God. Yeah, and and that makes sense. God wants to deal with the, those of faith. It's like a purging kind they're, of exactly right. So the faithful remnant that's left is those who trust in God.
2: And God works with them.
1: Exactly right. So you see that the Zephaniah is an exact parallel of Zechariah chapter 14. That's the neat thing about Scripture. You have the, from the mouth of two or more witnesses, not just one place, but the prophecies are called in multiple places. Nice. So we're going to have to skip some material here again because of the time. And uh, we want to go back to uh, a couple more Scriptures now that tells how God is going to deal with that remnant of faith. You know, back to Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. This is our theme scripture uh, once again, and we want to read just one clause out of verse 27. This is my covenant unto them. So that remnant now are going to receive a covenant from God. Now in Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 38 we have again another little snapshot of what we just read in Zechariah 14.
2: I will cause you to pass under the rod. I will bring you into the bond of the covenant.
1: The rod is that loss when the city is taken and 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 the, and the rebels are purged out. But the purpose of it is to bring those, that remnant of faith, that residue, into the bond of the covenant. Now, we're going to uh, to skip Zechariah chapter 12, because uh, earlier, a call from Julius, he made mention of this. But in verses 9 and 10, here is the verses that talk about the blindness being taken away from Israel. He says, it "...pour upon them the, gra- the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look upon him whom they have pierced. They will see Jesus." and they will know the blindness will be removed they will know to pray to him for deliverance at that time
2: that's special and this is also the scripture that talked about all the nations will go against Jerusalem so it's all in there yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's uh, again Zechariah twelve nine and 10
1: the, the parallel hill Jonathan is most beautiful God provides us so many multiple avenues or multiple doors to the same subject now we want to go to Micah chapter 5 uh, and normally we would read verses 5 through 9 uh, but um, Jonathan, I think I'll just summarize this. In this scripture, we have another picture of the problem at the time, it says, when the Assyrians shall come into our land. Assyrian." this is a metaphor for all of these armies that come up. From the north. From the north, that's right. And it says, Then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. Notice, we shall raise. The the remnant now in in Israel will have the blindness removed, and they will be able to pray to Jesus. And that prayer will, in in essence, have such a fast response that it seems that uh, God is fighting for them as a result of their prayer. It, It has seven shepherds and eight principal or princes of men, as it says in the column. We would suggest that the seven shepherds is a recognition of Jesus and the glorified church. From no, heaven, from heaven, from their from their heavenly, their divine perspective, and the eight princes of men we think are the ancient forefathers of Israel—Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and other uh, of the heroes of the past—that will be raised at that time to uh, fight for Israel. It will be uh, truly a marvelous time. Uh, again, we're we're skipping a whole bunch of scriptures, and yeah, wanna, that's why you have
2: to go to CQ Rewind. You've well, got to go to uh, ChristianQuestions y- dot like. net. Sign up for the full edition so you see. All of these wonderful prophecies that all tie together, they link together, this battle.
1: Yeah, by the way, I was going to skip Isaiah 1, verse 26, uh, and I don't, because I just made the statement that these ancient ones from the past were going to come about to help. Here's my, my scriptural basis for it.
2: I will restore the judges as at the first, and thy counselors as at thy beginning.
1: So who's the judges as at the first? Well, that's that's the book of Judges and the other kings and heroes of Israel. He would restore them. And uh, I also like verse 27 that says, Zion shall be redeemed with judgment and her converts. You with see?
2: righteousness. Yeah, this oh. is
1: the conversion to believing in Jesus once again. Uh, let's uh, move on down here. Okay, uh, Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Zechariah chapter 8 verse 23.
2: Let's read that whole verse. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold of all of languages of the nations, even shall they take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you.
1: We have repeatedly mentioned that God's intention is to save the whole world, to take the blindness away from the whole world. He starts with Israel. That's the first uh, group that is going to be cared for and blessed by the glorified Jesus and the church. But, after that, he wants the whole world now, this scripture is kind of interesting in that, as the world r- recognizes these things taking places and watches i mean can you can you imagine some of uh, uh, of today 's newscasters reporting on what 's happening in israel when they when they see these miraculous things happening, and then a group of people who claim to be abraham isaac there 'll be disbelief at first, but then they see the blessings that start to flow, they see Israel as a blessed nation. And now that blessing is start to migrate out from Israel to the whole world.
2: There'll be a lot of witnesses of that happening. Oh, yeah, they'll yeah. they'll be going back to their country saying, you won't believe what I just saw.
1: Exactly. That's one of the scriptures that we skipped. I think it was Isaiah chapter 66, that there would be escapees, those that survive, the enemies that came into the land that still survive. And they go back and they say, you won't believe what we saw there in Israel. So there'll be these witnesses. And as the world begins to recognize it, then that's where this scripture that we just read. Ten men out of all the nations and languages of the nations shall take hold of a skirt. They'll say, hey, you have God's blessing. We want it too. What do we have to do? And that's how the blessing will begin to spread throughout the whole world. That's good news. That's gospel. (laughs) Here's one more scripture that I especially like along these lines. Isaiah
2: chapter 60, verse 5. Let's read the whole verse. Thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee.
1: Notice that, the forces of the Gentiles. All of the enemies of God, all of the enemies of Israel, all of those that have been blinded and led by the demonic forces uh, into sin and disobedience and evil, they will experience a conversion as well and the forces of the Gentiles shall come. It, it's just a beautiful scripture. By the way, the, when we see sea in scriptures, it often is a metaphor or a symbol of the restless masses of mankind, all looking for something better than the life that they have. And these, this sea class will be converted, and they will love God, they will come to understand it. it it's, what, it's what the whole kingdom is all about.
2: And that reminds me of the scripture, the whole world groaneth and travaileth together, waiting for the adoptions of the sons of God. Yeah, yeah, this is the fulfillment of that. John 3.16, which every Christian knows, it
1: starts out with, God so loved the world, he wants the world to come into righteousness. Now, how long before these things occur? As we've already said, folks, we're Bible students. We are not prophets. We have to watch the prophecy of fulfillment. We may not have all of the details right, but if you are studied in it, as these events work out in real time, in current news and whatnot, you will recognize what's taking place.
2: So, watch Israel.
1: Watch Israel. That's key. There, there, there's a uh, key element. Well, dear friends, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, well, thank
2: you, David, for being here and s- filling in for Rick. It's It's been a real blessing.
1: Oh, I was nervous, but I'm, <laughs> I'm so glad it worked out so well. We had some great calls from our callers. Again, check out CQ uh, Rewind for a lot of the material that we've had to skip here at the end. Uh, for David and Jonathan, this has been Christian Questions. We hope you've enjoyed being with us this morning. We've certainly enjoyed being with you. Rick will be back behind this microphone next week. I'm sure you're all looking forward to uh, his return. Please remember these precious biblical promises we've looked at this morning. Don't worry about the turmoil and the bloodshed that's coming. Get a vision of the kingdom of peace coming. Don't stop thinking about it. And as Rick says, think about it.